Right, this morning we'll pick up Acts chapter 24. We'll pick it up in verse 24, read through 25, and then we'll kind of follow a theme here respecting the resurrection. All right, Acts chapter 24, verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should be given to him of Paul, that he might loose him, wherefore he sent for him the more often, and communed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Acts chapter 25. Now when Festus was come into the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him, and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul be brought. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar have I offended any at all, anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go to Jerusalem, and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender, or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things, whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar." Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Under Caesar thou shalt go. And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, There is a certain man left in bonds by Felix, about whom, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. To whom I answered, It is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that which is accused have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Therefore, when they were come thither without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man be brought forth, against whom... When the accusers stood up, they brought none accusation of such things as I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these manners. But when Paul had appeared to be reserved But when Paul had appealed to be reserved unto the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. 
Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come to was come, and Bernice, with great pomp, and was entered into the palace place of hearing with the chief captains and the principal men of the city, at Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself hath appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord, Wherefore, I have brought him forth before you, and especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that, after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner, and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. And thus is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. We pray thee, Lord, that you will open it to us, and we might see Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I have first given us here, you'll notice I made a copy of, I will call them the major players in uh, this drama as uh, the Lord sends Paul from individual to individual, or I should say, sends people to Paul that um, they would hear the gospel. Um, Sometimes it's hard to keep these people straight. So beginning in Acts chapter 23, 26, you can see there that I have Claudius Lystris listed first, the chief captain. And there's a couple things I want us to appreciate when we look at this list of individuals here is that it, politics haven't changed a bit. There's nothing new under the sun, as it says in Ecclesiastes. And so um, as corrupt as these individuals are, um, so are our politicians today. They are corrupt also. Um, we have families in power just like they had families in power, and you're going to see how these individuals are related one to another. You know, we have the... Um, Roosevelt's uh, were a family that was in power for a long time in this country. We had the Kennedys, and we have most recently the, the Bush family. And you're going to find that there are interesting relationships between the people that have been in the White House in the most recent years, that these people know each other. They hang out together at Martha's Vineyard, and then on TV they beat each other up, but they're all sipping wine together. They're all, in this, they're all of the same mold, if I can use that language. Um, in the book of Daniel, in two different chapters, the Lord makes it clear to us that he is the one who puts people on the throne. Um, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, this is the occasion when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and uh, Daniel lets him know that it's the uh, God Almighty who puts people on the throne. In verse 21 of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, um, Daniel is speaking here, and it says, and he cha- he's speaking of God, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. God takes people off the throne and he puts other men on the throne um, in their place. In uh, Daniel chapter 4, three times in that chapter, the Lord lets us know that it is God who is sovereign over all the affairs of men and he puts whomever he will on the throne. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, Again, speaking of a dream Nebuchadnezzar had, this matter is decreed by the watchers and the, de- and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High, that would be God, ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomever he will 
and setteth up over it the basest of men. So we want to think to ourselves that uh, it's a meritocracy in terms of who sits in the White House and who sits in Congress and in the House of Representatives. But the Bible tells us it's not, that God puts these people in whatever seat that he would have them to sit in. We know that in Colossians it says that the Lord has created all principalities and powers, all thrones and dominion are created by him and for him. And our Heavenly Father is moving the events of this world in the direction that he wants them to go. And so he puts whomever he wants on the throne. And I think we can appreciate that, that if he's ruler over heaven and the earth, that he's going to have men on the throne do the things that he wants them to do. Proverbs 21.1 says that. As the, uh, the Lord God turns the rivers of water, so he turns he the hearts of, of the king. Um, and so he's going to say the same thing over in verse 25. Um, I'll just pick up the last part of it. They, that this thing is going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar, and, and the last half of that verse says, Till thou knowest that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomever he will. Verse 32, same thing. You're, this is going to happen to you. Seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomever he will. So Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn that lesson, and that's a lesson that we all need to learn as well, that God puts whomever he will on the throne. And so I know with this most recent election, it was certainly a surprise to uh, me, as it was to, I think, a number of people, that... Um, Donald Trump was not returned to the White House. And so exactly what it says in Daniel here, that he takes people out and puts other people in. He is sovereign, and he determines who's going to be in the White House and who's going to sit on the throne. Um, so when you look at these individuals here, you're going to find that if you look at the secular record, there are, there are just a corrupt group of people. Um, the second, first one is Claudius Lystris, and he's the chief captain that rescues Paul from the riot on the mount there. And he, se he seems like a nice fellow. He does, what, he does his job, and he does what he's supposed to do. Then you have Felix, the governor, and he keeps Paul for two years. And why does he keep Paul for two years, and why does he keep coming to Paul to um, supposedly hear the gospel? Because he's waiting for a bribe. He's not interested in the gospel. He's just wants to, uh, he just wants to receive a, a bribe. And he says there, um, what's particularly grievous about Felix is in Acts chapter 24 is that when Paul preaches the gospel to him concerning faith in Christ and reasons to him of righteousness, that would be God's righteousness against which men are measured, and temperance, which would be self-control and judgment to come, says Felix trembled. Felix trembled. And yet he did not receive the gospel. We know that even the devils believe and tremble. Even the devils believe in God and tremble. And so... Uh, this idea that you, you can uh, believe in God and tremble and be fearful and yet be saved is obviously not something that you see bear itself out in Scripture, that God must reveal Christ to you um, and in your heart. And so uh, he waits for a convenient season, but one never comes, <laughs> a convenient season. And we know what the Scripture says about that. God opens a window of opportunity, places the gospel before you. You don't receive it. He closes it back up, and you're done. Now is the day of salvation. And so people need to... Um, as we talked about on Sunday, the men bear responsibility to, re to hear and to receive the gospel and to believe it and to act upon it. And uh, Felix never does that. Um, his wife does not tremble. She was a, a Jewish woman. She's described there as a Jewish in verse 24. So she knows the law and she knows that she's actually committing adultery because she left one husband to marry um, Felix here. And what's interesting to note, according to the secular record, um, 
is that she dies in the um, Vesuvius eruption, which I think was in 79 AD. Um, so judgment came to her. In Pompeii? In Pompeii, yeah. She's listed as one of the... There, were a heart, there are very few people that are known by name that perished in it, and the secular record says we know about her. Um, in Acts chapter 24, we see that Ananias, the high priest, comes down and uh, accuses Paul. He hears the gospel. Uh, Tertullus is an orator. In Acts 24, verse 2, he hears the gospel. He's an accuser. He's, he's a type of uh, Satan because he accuses the brethren. Um, Porcius Festus is a governor. He replaces um, Felix. He's the one who declares Paul to be mad or, or crazy in Acts chapter 26, verse 24. And I want us to appreciate that that was an accusation also laid against Christ, that he was... Um, that he was mad, that he was um, indwelled by, the, by Satan. Uh, that was why he was doing what he was able to do. Um, and the world views Christians as being zealous and as being crazy, and yet the Christians are the ones who have the truth, and it's the world that is in darkness, and, this, and the Christian is in, in the, the light, and yet the world sees things upside down and sees things backwards. And so they would declare us um, to be uh, crazy. So after Porcius Festus, then we have King Agrippa, King Agrippa II. He's going to hear the gospel uh, as well. Now, King Agrippa II, obviously, is descendant from King Agrippa I, who's descendant from um, Herod the Great's son, who's a descendant from Herod the Great. So there's a whole line of Herods here. There's four Herods um, throughout the book of Acts and in the Gospels. And so we can appreciate this line of Herods that extends through. I made a note there on the bottom that Herod um, of Acts 12.1 was Herod Agrippa I, which was the grandson of Herod the Great. And Herod is a type of Satan, and so he transcends generations in terms of his persecution of the uh, Christians. <clears throat> What's interesting is it was overt and obvious with Herod the Great, but as you go through the subsequent Herods, <clears throat> excuse me, it... It moves behind the scenes. So even though you have Herod Agrippa II here, Paul's still going to Rome. Um, but there's just a happy, um, a, well, it's deceptive. And that's what Satan is. You know, it talks about that in Second um, Corinthians chapter 11, that he comes as an angel of light. And um, his ministers as ministers of righteousness. So while there seems to be some interest here that Paul would receive justice, there really isn't any interest in that he would receive justice. <clears throat> now, as far as these relationships are, are concerned, you can see that King Agrippa II um, is with his sister Bernice, of which it was said they were having an incestuous relationship. That is also the sister of Drusilla, who's married to Felix the governor. So there's a, a familial relationship between these people that are, um, that are ruling. <clears throat> They're all tied together. Um, so... I'll leave that with you, and you can look at that, um, but it's interesting how they're all tied together and all related there. Now, one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the themes that I wanted to pick up this morning is because as the Apostle Paul preaches to these individuals, they're the ones that are brought to him. I mean, he's brought, he's brought into, this, into, a, um, into a room, a judgment hall, where they will hear him, but he's the one who's kept at Caesarea, and all these people are coming to him. And I appreciate that. It talks about that in Romans chapter 10, about how shall they hear unless a preacher be sent. Well, it works both ways. You are either sent to a preacher or a preacher is sent to you. And here um, the Lord has Paul in a stable location, and he's sending these different people to him. 
But there is something that Paul preaches every single time one of these individuals is brought to him. And he preaches about the resurrection. That comes up every single time. We first see that, actually, what I want to look at first is John chapter 5, verse, um, verses 28 and 29. In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, this is the Lord speaking, and he's speaking about the resurrection. <clears throat> John 5, 28 and 29. I want to go to 28, 20, yeah, that's what I meant, 28, 29, man. Okay, in verse 28 of John chapter 5, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Whose voice are they going to hear? They're going to hear the voice of the Son of Man. That's in verse 27. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now what does it mean to have done good? It means they will do the good works that God hath before ordained that, she, that they should walk in. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, don't construe salvation by works here, um, because... Man cannot work his way to grace. All of our works of righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord. But if you have done good works, it's Christ working in you. Um, so that would be Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 here. But in verse 27, it speaks of Christ. God has given him authority to execute judgment. And he will judge all men. And it says here that there's going to come a day at, at his voice, people are going to come out of the graves and they're going to be judged. Those that have done good have done good, they're going to go to the resurrection of life, and those that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So a resurrection is um, set before the Christian, and indeed it's set before the whole world, because this is something that every person uh, is going to face. You're going to be raised from the dead you'll bodily, if you, um, your body will come out of the grave, and then you will face um, judgment of the Lord. Resurrection of life uh, obviously, you were judged at the cross with Christ, and so you don't face judgment. But the resurrection and the damnation, those people are going to be judged based on what it says in Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, it speaks about that occasion. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it speaks about a great white throne. In verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Well, who's sitting on that throne but Christ himself, because all judgment's been given unto him. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead that which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the, those whose names are written in the book of life um, come to the resurrection of life, and everyone else stands before the Lord, and they're judged according to their works. And what does it say? They're judged according to their works, and they're cast into the lake of fire. Um, that's what. Um, um, that's where your works will get you. Is the is the uh, lake of fire? So a resurrection is set before us here, and Felix, when he hears about it, he trembles, and every person should tremble. 
and every person should come to the Lord. So we see that in Acts 23, 6, that he speaks about this resurrection um, to Claudius. And uh, right, he's not speaking to Claudius. Claudius is overseeing what's taking place here because Paul in Acts 23 has been set before the council. And when it gets down to verse 6 here, it says that, but, Paul, but when Paul perceived that the one part of this group are Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, of the, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called into question. <clears throat> and that is really um, what every Christian is preaching when they're talking about having uh, faith in Christ, is we're talking about the resurrection, because everyone is a sinner, and everyone must face judgment, and the fact that our sins are imputed to Christ, and he died on our behalf, uh, means that during the, after the resurrection, or during the resurrection, we shall... Uh, enjoy eternal life uh, with Christ in heaven, whereas the others shall be cast into the lake of fire. So it's always about the resurrection here. And the resurrection, of course, is uh, through Christ himself. Now in chapter 24, verse 14, um, again, he speaks of the resurrection, and now he's before Felix. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope towards gods, which they themselves allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Now, he says that they themselves shall allow, because they, uh, down in verse 21, uh, he mentions that he brought it up during the last uh, trial. Um, Accepted be this one voice that I cried standing among them, Touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. So he's making reference to what he had said in Acts chapter 23, verse 6. So again, he's speaking of um, the resurrection of the dead here. And the um, Pharisees allow that there is going to be one. It's the Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection. The question is, what is required to achieve it? <laughs> the resurrection unto life. Well, the Pharisees would say that you have to follow the law. And the Apostle Paul is uh, preaching, of course, Christ. That it's through Christ that we enjoy a resurrection unto eternal life. And uh, so twice there, Felix hears about the resurrection. Then you go over to Acts chapter 25, uh, verse 19, and now he's in front, in front of uh, uh, Festus. In verse 19, <clears throat> Festus is trying to summarize what he thinks uh, this issue is all about here. Uh, speaking to uh, Agrippa, he says, but um, had certain questions against him of their own superstition. In other words, the Jews are bringing these issues against him of their own superstition. In other words, this is a Jewish issue. And of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Now, can you imagine trying somebody uh, over this issue? Everybody thinks this individual is dead, but you got Paul over here saying, no, he's not dead, <laughs> he's alive. And so it's because of this that he's... He's thinking, well, they want to kill him just because of over this uh, issue here. And in verse 20, he says, Because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these manners. Well, that's not really a true statement. Uh, he's, a, he's a liar, and I want to bring that out, that these men are liars and they're, they're, they're dead in trespasses and sin. Acts chapter 26, verse 6. Now he's in front of Agrippa. Paul's speaking himself in front of Agrippa. He says, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise of God made unto our fathers. And what 
is the hope that is set before them. He's been speaking of this hope the whole time. It's about the resurrection. It's about hope of eternal life in Christ. Um, so he has set this before them um, numerous times, and we should appreciate that God is being gracious and he's being merciful to these people that because of uh, the, uh, the Jews uh, behaving contrary to their law, that these men uh, have the, um, the benefit and the opportunity to hear the gospel. Um, now, because of the resurrection... Uh, Paul can make a statement like he does in verse 11 of Acts chapter 25. He can make this statement, Acts 25, 11, he says, um, first of all, he's, he's telling Festus that, you know I have done no wrong. Um, and then he says, for if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. No Christian should fear death. No Christian should fear death. God has revealed to the Christian uh, what lies on the other side of the grave. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, it talks about how these things are hidden from the world, but they're not hidden from the um, Christian. In Acts, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we read, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You'll often hear that preached in a church, and they, they stop there and don't go to verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The Christian should know what lies beyond the grave. And it would certainly never be a cause of fear for the Christian. You know, the, um, we read in the Scriptures that to live is Christ... To die is gain. Death is the vehicle by which we enter into the portal of eternal life. I mean, through Christ, of course. But the Christian should appreciate that and understand that. And as you read through the Bible, and this section of um, the book of Acts in particular with respect to Paul's life, is that God is going to do with you, as he did for Paul, so that you will accomplish everything that God wants you to accomplish. I mean, we've talked about that in terms of the disciples rowing across the Sea of Galilee against winds that are contrary. They are going to get to the other side. If God puts you in a ship and tells you to cross the, the lake, you will get to the other side of the lake. If God tells you to do something, you will accomplish what God tells you to do. He has told Paul, you're going to Rome. So as he's brought before these, these different um, um, occasions where these, these Gentiles are judging him, it's always working towards sending him to Rome. I mean, he's incarcerated uh, by um, um, Porcius Festus. For two years, he's left, it, he's left there. Um, Felix keeps him uh, in a room, but he allows people to visit him. And uh, let me see where that is. In verse 23 of Acts 24, it says, And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or to come unto him. So um, the Lord is keeping Paul um, in Caesarea for a period of uh, at least two years, and <clears throat> only those people um, can see Paul that the Lord would send to him. And so here the, the Lord is teaching Paul, as he teaches all of us, that um, we are always subject to everything uh, of the Lord. He is sovereign over all the affairs of our lives. The friends that we have in our life 
our friends that God has, has sent our way, relationships that we have and the relationships that we enjoy. It's all orchestrated and, um, and commanded by the Lord. And so we should be thankful that he's ever so active in our lives and appreciate the directions that he is taking our lives in. But again, the point is we should always trust him and know that we will uh, be in this uh, body on this earth until such time as the Lord is ready to call us home. And so it is with the Apostle Paul. It's not until we know that, I think it's in the end of Second Timothy, that he says, I'm ready to be offered up. I have finished my course. He knows that he's accomplished everything that the Lord has set before him to accomplish. So he's not afraid to die here. So if I've done anything wrong, sure, I'll die. To, to die is gain. Um, every Christian should know that when they walk through that door that it, everything is much better for them. And yet, we've seen this last year, and it's been kind of grievous with me, uh, that the church has performed itself or behaved itself in a really uh, poor manner. They've been a terrible witness before the world, this, this fear of, of COVID. They've allowed their churches to be shut down. They, they've, they've hidden themselves, um, sequestered that themselves, and there's no cause for it. God is not going to let you get sick if he doesn't want you to get sick, and he's most certainly not going to take you to the grave until your time is ready. And uh, you should embrace that. You should embrace every trial the Lord sends your way. So it's been a very bad testimony about what has happened to the church in this last year. Um, one of the saints sent me a, several links about what's going on in Canada, and I watched a couple of those links last night about the persecution against the churches in Canada. And one of their pastors was um, lamenting about how the church has just rolled over and allowed the um, allowed all of their rights to be trampled into the ground and and shut their churches down too. And one of these videos was um, it was uh, documenting police coming and chasing and asking everybody to leave the church, and they changed all the locks on the doors and literally shut the church down, locked everybody out of the church, Christian church. And the comments are always interesting. The liquor stores are open, the mosques are open, you know, the temples are open, but not the Christian church. And so we have to ever appreciate the persecutions um, that Christians um, face in this world and then uh, how God says, well, that, that's a good thing. So we should appreciate um, persecution because you know that it's God's uh, hand is in it, meaning that he's permitting Satan to do it. And since there's no rational reason for it, then you know that you're on the right track and you're actually preaching the gospel and doing what you ought to, uh, ought to be doing. In 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, I mean, the Lord says that. In 1 Peter 3, he says, But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. When you're suffering for righteousness' sake, you know you're, on, you know you're doing the Lord's work because you're suffering as he suffered. Um, that's verse 14 of 1 Peter chapter 3. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. And so while we're being persecuted, uh, we nevertheless appreciate the work that the Lord is doing in our hearts and then we continue to give a, a proper answer with meekness and in um, fear. Now, the resurrection um, is set before us in the Scripture as, as, some, as a doctrine. Of course, that, that's extraordinarily important. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that whole chapter deals with the resurrection um, of our dead bodies. And so uh, the church at Corinth was struggling with that issue. Some of them said there's no resurrection. Um, and so we appreciate that if there is no resurrection, um, then the whole Christian faith is an absolute sham. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, around verse 13, I'll pick it up in 12, he says, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, 
how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Some people are talking about that. There's no resurrection of the dead body. Verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. He's going to give us the logic here about why it's important that Christ be raised from the dead. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ risen. Now he starts off this um, section here about how there were all these witnesses, about how Christ um, died according to scriptures, you know, buried according to scriptures, raised according to scriptures, and that he was seen above 500 brethren at once. That's verse 6. The greater part of whom remained until the present. If you want to go talk to these people, you can go talk to these people. Verse uh, 16. If the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. The logic here, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then he's paying for his sins, or he's He's still in, in uh, suffering the wrath of God. God is not satisfied with what he's accomplished. And if he's dead in his sins or dead in sins, you're dead in yours as well. And so um, we are of men most miserable. And he says in verse 17, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ, they're perished. There's no resurrection for them. They're all dead too. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. The whole thing's a sham. We have no hope. To, uh, there's nothing for us to look forward to. Verse 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. He's bringing the logic here about why it's necessary that God be manifest in the flesh, by why God is necessary for God to be fully man and fully God. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so he goes on there to help us to appreciate the resurrection of the dead body. We're all going to be given new bodies at the resurrection. And so this, again, is what Paul continues to preach here in, um, in the book of Acts as he's brought before every single one of these uh, people. Um, you can summarize uh, this whole idea here in uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, with respect to the justification of man which is what Paul is talking about there. If Christ be dead, then you are too. You're dead in your sins. He's speaking of Christ here in Romans 4, 25. He says, Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Raised again for our justification. And so um, the fact that he's been raised is indicative that um, we are justified. In Isaiah 53, verse 11, the Lord uh, says that, sets that truth before us. Speaking of God, it says, He, that would be God, shall see of the travail of his soul, that would be Christ's soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That's Isaiah 53, 11. So, by his knowledge, that means um, our sin is imputed to him, his knowledge of sin. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So God was satisfied with what Christ had accomplished on behalf of the saints. Um, 
And so we, when he was raised, then that, that's indicative that he was satisfied and we are indeed um, justified. So these truths are all set before us here. Um, and Paul has um, continued to preach the resurrection to each of these individuals. And um, with respect to this persecution that takes place here, um, the book of Revelation speaks about that. And we see Tertullus as a, um, as a type of Satan in terms of the fact that he is accusing um, the brethren. And so we see that in uh, Revelation chapter 12. And Revelation chapter 12, um, we have in verse... I'm going to pick it up in um, verse 7. In verse 7. Yeah, Revelation 12, 7. It says, There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. This is at the cross. I think it's in the book of Luke when the Lord says, I beheld Satan as, lighten, as lightning cast down from heaven. Um, speaking of the work of the cross. So they have prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. Uh, verse 9 of Revelation 12. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So Satan can no longer accuse us before the Lord, though he'll accuse you to yourself, and he'll accuse you to fellow Christians. Um, verse 11, And they, that would be the brethren, overcame his accusations, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. And that's something the church is guilty of today. They are loving their lives unto the death. You should not love your lives unto the death because you should have this expectation of the resurrection and eternal fellowship with God. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and that ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And jump down into verse 17, and it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman. The woman is the church. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, through Christ, of course, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul does. He is keeping the commandments of God through Christ. They're kept in a vicarious way. It's Christ who's the faithful one who has kept them on our behalf. Um, but he is suffering great persecution for the testimony of Jesus Christ. There's no charge that can be laid against him. And that we have seen time and time again. Four times throughout this section of the book of Acts, he's declared um, that they can't find anything to accuse him with. And uh, that's, of course, a doctrinal statement from Romans chapter 8, um, verse 31. Actually, it's in verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? No one can lay a charge against God's elect because it says here, it is God that justifieth. If you have been justified by God, you are just. Nobody can lay a charge against you. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. He was the one that was condemned. Yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, also making intercession 
before us. But no one can lay a charge against God's elect. And as we looked at this section here, and uh, we were listening to um, Festus uh, speak with um, Agrippa, even he doesn't know what charge to be laid against uh, the Apostle Paul. He says, you know, here I'm going to send him to Caesar, um, and I don't even know what two charges to lay against him. And in verse 27 of Acts 25, he says, For it seemeth to me unreasonable, and I would certainly agree with that statement, to send a prisoner, and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. So he's got to come up with something to charge Paul with. He's going to appear to be a fool before Caesar when he sends Paul to him. Caesar's going to go, well, what are you here for? You know, I've done nothing against the Romans. I've done nothing against the Jews. Paul has... Uh, brought forth his uh, innocence on, on several occasions. He set forth the timeline. You know, they brought me here. It's been 12 days since I came to Jerusalem. I, I came bringing alms, you know, seven days purification, five days down here in Caesarea. There's been no time for me to do any of the things that they've accused me of. And so one of the reasons that Festus is anxious that Agrippa would hear him is because uh, he appreciates that Agrippa knows uh, the law here. And so Paul says the same thing here. In uh, verse 3 of Acts chapter 26, I'll read the first three verses. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. Now Paul's in bonds, remember, so as he stretched forth his hands, Agrippa's going to see the fact that he's in chains, which he would know anyway, but there's there's an interesting irony here because Paul is the only free person in that room. I mean, he's free in Christ. Everybody else is in bondage to Satan even though he's the one that has the, um, the chains on him. Verse 2, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things where um, I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. So Paul is setting before him, hey, I'm, I'm glad I'm speaking to you too, because you should know the, the, um, the Jewish traditions, the Jewish laws, and you should understand and appreciate that they talk about there being a resurrection. And so Paul is going to go through uh, his history, and we'll get into that uh, next week. Um, uh, we'll go through 26 next week. So I don't know that there was anything different that we hadn't talked about in the past to pull out from those other, um, from, from 25s there, Acts chapter 25 there. So I think we'll just close there, and then next week we'll pick up in greater detail on chapter 26. Um, So with that, we'll say uh, amen, and we'll close with a prayer.